This is your pal Daffy Duck, and you're watching. You're watching. We're watching. You're watching Fanboy. 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 Fanboy, etc. Fanboy Nation. God, I assume Tom. You primarily know this man as v- uh, Vegeta. I can't even say the name right. Vegeta? It's actually Vegeta, like a vegetable, but that's okay. Well, um, not everyone knows how to pronounce these names. All right. Well, let's let's do it from here. Take two. You primarily know this na- this man as Vegeta in the Dragon Ball Z franchise. Today, Chris Sabat is going to be talking to us about Zhang Xia, a Chinese film that he recently dubbed into English, available now on VOD, DVD, and Blu-ray. Chris, how are you today? Good, good. Hey, Thanks for having Christopher, because I don't want to get your name wrong and upset you. I respond to either. Okay. So, I, and I actually don't even respond, like, I don't even correct people when they say my last name mm-hmm. wrong. You said it correctly, but a lot of people say Sabat or Sabat or Babat or whatever. It's just a terrible last name in terms of uh, the way my, like, I guess my grandparents pronounced it wrong, I think. <laughs> I've been thinking about changing the legal pronunciation of my last name to Sabat mm-hmm. because that's what it probably should have been anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's your name, so we got to get it right. It's <laughs> true. Uh, what's funny is you actually got Vegeta right. A lot of people don't get that right if they're uh, if, if they're not like deep fans of the show. You know, uh, my cousin is a huge deep fan of it. I think uh, Angela Augustine interviewed you either at Comic Con or Anime Expo. Uh, you know, for one of the anniversary editions. You know, something that was going on with Dragon Ball. And so, you know, our our boys on on staff are, are huge fans of Dragon Ball. I've watched it, but like I haven't gotten to like trekkie level deep entrenched in into the fandom because to be honest, I don't have the time to get that deep. Oh, dude, tell me about it. That that's the biggest that's the biggest thing about a lot of sort of big series like that, or even becoming a like a, a, a bona fide hardcore comic book nerd. It's just it gets overwhelming after a while. Yeah. So I, I like things that are in kind of very palatable forms. The, I was so happy when Dragon Ball was finally released on video games because it's something where I could say, hey, play this video game. Uh, it's interactive at least, and it'll take you, you know, only about 30 hours to play it rather than the rest of your life to watch all those episodes. Right. And then reboots, sequels, spinoffs, and everything else. Oh, tough. Don't get me wrong. Everything. I, I am grateful for all that because it keeps you working. You know, it keeps me in the mix doing the announcing stuff that I do on, on the side as well and, and everything else that's going on. But, you know, if you're going to start somewhere, it's very hard with an established property to jump in on, say, you know, season three, episode seven. Yeah. yeah. I'm on another show called One Piece, and it's one of the most popular shows in Japan, like as popular as Disney is out there, or as Disney might be here, it is huge. I mean, there's cereal, there's underarm deodorant, there's taxis covered with, uh, like, uh, one-piece stuff. The thing is, though, that series is, I think, at about episode 780, um, and they've, they're only about halfway through with the series. It's just, it's massive. I they, they, they did a thing a while back, a promotion over at Funimation, where they had somebody... Um, literally just try to watch all of One Piece as as much as they could and trap themselves in a room and just not leave. They just uh, just see, they could marathon the whole thing night and day, and it went on for uh, it went on for over a week, and the person just ended up going insane, and they had to stop. 
the experiment. Right, Vi- vitamin D deficiency at that point. Yeah, too much. <laughs> or too much vitamin anime. I'm sorry, that was bad dad joke. It's, it's all right. You know, well, you're a father of two, so you're allowed the dad jokes. I am. I am getting good at them. <laughs> and you know what? They always at least get a chuckle. Before we get into the film itself, uh, Zhang Zia, which is hard to pronounce because I don't speak Mandarin, and I'm no one does. I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure somebody does, but uh, Americans normally don't. That's the hard. It's, it's hard part about working in Japanese dubs is trying to get those names right. With, you know, I noticed there was a trend um, in the fandom, and someone explained this to me uh, who works in dubbing anime to English. That, you know, there are the purists that are like, I have to, you know, hear it in Japanese and, and read the subtitles to the point that I'm going to learn Japanese to watch the anime in the original language. And then there was kind of an inverse where Japanese fans wanted to not only hear the Japanese dub, but also the English dub. Yes, and I was lucky enough to kind of be at the forefront of all of that. Um in, I started in around 1998 at as one of Funimation's first employees, and I started off by directing the Dragon Ball series. And at that time, there really wasn't a lot of dubbing happening in the United States. There was, uh, you know, there, you, were, you could only maybe find like five DVDs worth of anime and a blockbuster at that time, or a blockbuster video back then. And... Uh, and I've watched as kind of anime has developed over the years and dubbing has become more and more popular as a, a form of way, as, as a way to enjoy watching, uh, watching programs. And I'll admit, as somebody who works in the dubbing industry and works very hard to dub stuff in a way that's uh, like palatable for people to listen to, um, Dragon Ball was really one of the only things that I watched dubbed because I actually was kind of a fan of watching the subtitles too for a very long time. I was like, well, I just want to hear what it sounds like in the most pure version of the language. But as time has gone on and these actors who work in the dubbing industry are getting better and, and people are understanding the medium more, these dubs are getting really good. And I'm even finding myself watching more dubs of live action stuff than I ever watched before. There was a, a series, a German series called Dark that was on Netflix, and I watched the dub of that and thoroughly enjoyed that as well. So I, there is, there's a place for dubs in the world, and there's some people who want to listen to Japanese and listen to English and make comparisons, and then there's some people who just want to watch animation and appreciate it in the same way that someone in the original language appreciated it, which was to watch it casually and not necessarily have to study it in order to, to kind of follow along. I think dubs have a very good place in that universe because I want to be able to be doing the dishes or I want to be able to, uh, you know, I want to be able to write an email while I'm watching the show and, and not miss a bunch of content. So dubs have a very good place in this world. And luckily, they've gotten to the point where they're great. A lot of people come to me and say, hey, I like the English version better than the Japanese version, which is a huge compliment to us. And you know um, what's even better with that? We now have international actors working on one property. So we have you doing the English, the original Japanese voice actor doing the Japanese, a guy in France doing the French dub, and so on and so forth. Yeah, there's a fascinating documentary called Being George Clooney. I was just going to mention that. I interviewed the director. 
You did. I, did. I loved that film. Yeah. That documentary was great because it, it showed, like, especially in other countries, how dub actors are really, really revered there. Um, and, and it's getting to that level. It's starting to get to that point in America too. And it's, it's a, it's a really, really cool thing. Anyone who's interested in dubbing or, or interested in any sort of multicultural kind of dubbing stuff, uh, that is a great film to watch. Uh, to understand what it's like to dub things in other languages. I will give only one spoiler from that documentary. And it was the Argentinian dub of ER for George Clooney. <laughs> and, the, and the guy who dubbed George Clooney in Argentinian Spanish was actually a medical doctor and ended up becoming a medical consultant on the show to correct the translation of all the actual medical procedures. <laughs> that, that's great. Yeah. Uh, we just watched it dumb in America. Really, I don't know. It sounds like but it's just George Clooney. We're watching him act. I, I, I don't care about medicine. Right. I just, I just want drama. But yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty cool world to have grown up in, and it's great to see it uh, develop into what it is now. Uh, you know, for for people that don't understand, I'm in my 40s now, so I remember being a little kid in the Saturday afternoon matinee. Uh, either at the theater or on whatever local channel was showing it, and they'd show kung fu movies, you know, the kung fu theater. And then, you know, the dubbing didn't match the timing of, of when the actors were speaking, and then also the quality was so bad that you could still hear the Mandarin or the Cantonese underneath the English dub. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the technology has changed so much from back then. Um it's it's funny a speed racer uh, they got a lot of uh, there's there's a lot of uh, jokes about speed racers dub because there was always that haha at the end and anyone who watched dragon ball probably noticed um especially in the early versions of the the, the kind of our original recordings there was a lot of hey goku you got to get over here or um so comma we have to do something because for whatever reason in the original language and the japanese version of it um, the animation has one long flap, which is what we call a mouth movement, followed by a pause, and then the rest of the line starts. And it's hard to kind of dodge that stuff when you're recording. Right. Uh, but yeah, the tech, when I first started, we were working on really old computers, and we had to ch- we had to have this massive, massive cassette deck um, called a digital beta or a three quarter beta deck, which is a, like a size of a microwave, basically, with these huge like tapes that would go into it that would rewind only in one time speed. Like it would only rewind at the speed that you would play that. It was a pain in the butt to record with them and it took a long time to record. But now we, we work on these all digital systems that are instantaneous. You can pop between scenes without even thinking about it. You could, you could do five takes in, you know, as long as it takes to read it five times exactly. Uh, whereas back when we first started, it was, a really arduous process. Like if you got a take and you didn't like it, you kind of had to make a very difficult decision because you were like, okay, do I do I get another version of this? Because it could take the computer a while to reset and rewind that tape and all that stuff, or could I just like deal with what I have? Right. Um, and, luckily, we're in a really great place technologically to to do some really cool dubbing. Right, and now you're at the point where if you're slightly a half beat off from matching the flap, they can just move the file over. Exactly. And they have stuff called, you know, they have really good, fairly, you know, uh, sophisticated tools that do things like 
time expansion and uh, time like time stretching and squishing to make a line fit if if it just needs to be kind of squished a little bit if it needs to be read a tiny bit faster you can squish the line just a fraction i try to avoid that because i feel like i can hear it not everybody notices it but we try to avoid that here if at all possible but if you really need it if something's really broken you can smush a line a little bit digitally to make it uh read a little bit faster without affecting the pitch. Right. And now we have uh, Zhang Zia from WellGo USA, and you're the English dub of this Chinese film, and the animation is absolutely gorgeous. Gosh, dude, it is, it is incredible. I When I first found out about dubbing this film, um, I recalled that they had all, WellGo had also done, uh, or released the version of Neja, uh which is the kind of the prequel to this movie in, in a very loose sort of way. They're, they really aren't related other than that they both kind of share similar themes and they're both from the same production company. Right. But it, it seems like what's happening now is through these films, they are op- they're cracking open what seems to be like a Marvel universe of Chinese mythology through these characters. And it's, it's really, really cool. Um, it's just this Pixar level gorgeous animation and um, they're they're actually very palatable films in a way too because a lot of times you know I've worked on a lot of of Chinese and Thai and and foreign language films and anime and not always do they translate very well into English but these are very watchable and very palatable and very uh, very cool they they feel like they were made by kind of Westerners mm-hmm. to some degree, or at least somebody who had an appreciation for Western movies. Right. Well, even the intro of the film, uh, we're not going to give a spoiler more than the first uh, quarter of the picture because we want people to watch it. But uh, Zhang Ziya's character elevates to a god status because he crossed over into the immortals. And then with my family being from the Middle East, I was like, oh, that's easy. That was in the Epic of Gilgamesh. And that's, you know, Utnapishtim crossing over, surviving the flood. <laughs> And, and being amongst the gods. So, like, you know, there was that tie-in from Western Asia to Eastern Asia and, and figuring out the character's evolution. And then the notions of, you know, philosophy and what's beneficial for the individual versus the greater good and the, and the consciousness of all of society. There's so many layers in this that animation really isn't kid stuff anymore. It's not. If, actually, if you want kid stuff... Uh, you should definitely watch also the predecessor, the Neja. Mm-hmm. It's actually about a child god, and it is so good too. It's where Zhang Ziya is a, is a very serious, it kind of feels like an, um, a very mature film, um, not, not sexually, but just a very mature, uh, um, feature that has very epic themes. Uh, Neja is a, is a feature that involves like a child that gets these powers and it's comical and really funny. In fact, um, when you watch, uh, Zhang Ziya, if you can stick through it all the way to the end of the feature, there is kind of a post credit, uh, little kind of short film that has some of those original characters, the, the Neja characters in it. It's not a spoiler because it's not really related to anything. Uh, there is, uh, there are some other post-credit you know, moments in the film too, which you should try and check out as well if you ever see it. 
the post credit short film was was absolutely gorgeous. It visually it was hilarious, and so you know we're not we're not giving away if there's dia- dialogue or not, but we're giving away the visual gags were just amazing throughout the whole thing. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's not it's not so much of a spoiler. Um, in fact, we could probably talk about this film in depth, and it and it probably wouldn't spoil too much right. of the film anyway, because it's it's very rich. It's a very uh, kind of a very rich story and very rich uh, experience. I think any explanation probably wouldn't even do the movie justice to some degree. No, like, like I'm falling all over this this animated feature. And in recent years, I've been telling everybody, animation has surpassed feature filmmaking because of the level of depth that they can go into the story and create it visually, that it's something more palatable at, at this stage because there's not that level of suspending disbelief you know, where you see a human actor going, oh, well, you know, I saw where the, the glitch was or whatever it was. You know, you can you can tell the story with X amount of dollars versus trying to connect that with a crossover and a green screen for $350 million. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, I just, it's funny, I was just watching Tron Legacy the other day with my daughters um, and I forgot about those scenes that have uh, kind of the young Flynn in it. And it's, uh, even, it, it, it just kind of threw me off a little bit. I'm like, wow, that is a fake person right there. And it always will be. And like the, the farther we go into the future, the longer it'll look, like the, the more it'll look even more fake. Uh, even some of the Matrix movies going back, I'm like, wow, those special effects were not as amazing as I remember them to be. But the cool thing about these animated films, they will always be as beautiful. Uh, they'll be as beautiful now as they will be for all time. They're just so stunning. Uh, and gosh, there's so much. The, the animation is beautiful. The, the music is just gorgeous in it as well. Right. Like, even if we go back to what's considered the first animated feature with Prince Ahmed, and that was basically cardboard cutouts on a screen that was, that was moving around. You know, just to think from where we went from there 130 years ago to where we are today and see the evolution of animation, and that still could be considered beautiful based, not just based on its time period, but based on the artistic endeavor, blows me away. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's been a thrill to work on this film, though. Wellgo always has great films for us to dub, um, but this was... A, a real highlight for us. Like I, we were very happy. The the biggest challenge came from having to do it during the pandemic. Um, it was it was a challenge because we had to find not only actors who were appropriate for these roles, but also people who had access to great either great home studios or were able to get to one of our kind of approved COVID studios. And uh, that that was the only thing that kind of made the whole dub a little bit more of a challenge than normal. But on the bright side, everyone got to record on their own and then splice it together, which has kind of become the norm anyway. It has. It has. It's, I mean, it's just so much easier and so much better when there's better energy when you're in the same room with somebody. Then you can kind of look through the glass and, and experience something together. Uh, but the more we've gone through this pandemic, the more I've realized, like, I'm not sure I ever want to go back the other way. I love, I love recording at home. I'm very lucky I have a world-class studio in my house, but it's it's just amazing to be able to work 
do great work and then leave and go hang out with my kids like 10 seconds from now instead of having to fight traffic all the way back. Right. And you get to keep the pajama bottoms and the bunny slippers on and you're good to go. Exactly. I, for this interview alone, I changed into tennis shoes as opposed to my normal sandals that I wear around the house. So, uh, just be honored because I, I dressed up for you, bro. Well, I appreciate that because I'm not a fan of feet, so it's even better this time. <laughs> good, good. Well, everyone has to have them, so you're in, you're in big right. trouble. Well, no, I, I'm a fan of having them, just not seeing them. <laughs> just not seeing them, I get it. <laughs> I get you. You know, because then you start fixating, I can't believe they didn't cut their toenails, that one looks infected, that's enough. That, yes, it's best not to look at them, you're right, exactly. you're right. You know. They serve a purpose, and I'm happy that they're there in order to keep us balanced. True. True that. <laughs> well, the, anyone who appreciates anime is going to love the people we ended up using in this feature. Um, one of my favorite actresses of all time, voice actresses, her name is Lucy Christian. She actually is based in Houston, and uh, she plays kind of Jung Jia's counterpart in the film. Uh, Zhao Zhou is the this character you'll meet at some point. I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but you'll kind of travel along with them throughout the movie. She is wonderful in it. Uh, Morgan Garrett is a very popular anime voice actor um, and a stage actor as well. And she is phenomenal as the nine-tailed fox. Uh, there's just a lot of great performances in it. And I, everyone I brought in, uh, Ian Sinclair is a, a well-known anime voice actor, he does a lot of film stuff as well, and he's, he plays kind of uh, uh, Shen Gongbao, he's Zhang Ziya's kind of sidekick character, also a shapeshifter, which is pretty neat, and uh, he's just brilliant in that role too, it's a great role for him, he's really good at those dude roles, Um, and I'd love to hear people's feedback from this, because it's, it's, um, there's, this was one that we really wanted to get right, and I hope we did. The The whole picture was beautiful. The way the, the story flows, um, since you've been doing dubs for a lot of Eastern films, whether Thai or Korean, Japanese, Chinese in this instance, uh, how does that change your perspective growing up in a Western world and now having the influences of Eastern cinema in your life? Eastern cinema has, like, Eastern culture has it like completely taken over my life? Like it, I'm so grateful to have to have been a part of this and to experience growth in this in the kind of a non-Western uh, entertainment uh, fashion because it's it's really influenced my feelings about design and architecture. I recently built a house and it's all it's all built on a kind of a Japanese. Uh, aesthetic. It, it's actually was based on the aesthetic of Japanese houses in a in a very popular, beautiful film called Summer Wars. It's a Hosoda film, and I I feel like I've grown so much. I was just so much less ethnocentric, experiencing all of these ideas from all of these non-Western productions, and it's it makes it so nice. And I I, I know why people love watching anime and watching foreign films because it does bring you closer to that culture. And when I travel to Japan, it's such a thrill for me because I'm like, oh, that's that's the school I've seen in anime or that's that thing they were eating in that one movie or 
that's that you know that's that type of car that you don't see in America. Um, so everything in my life, like, is I'm half the things I decorate with, half the things I look at all day, come from Japan because I just am so influenced by that culture. And there's that Vegeta sta- statue or fountain sitting in the front yard. Uh, yes. In fact, it was almost a Vegeta statue at my high school. The librarian had contacted me saying, like, hey, uh, we were, I just wanted to approve this with you and just see if you'd be interested. We were thinking about putting a statue of your character with your a plaque of you on it, uh, in the library. I'm like, oh man, like, are you sure? Because I graduated from a school in high school, a, a school in Houston where, you know, astronauts went to that school and famous, like, physicists and chemists and it was a very tech-friendly part of the world. Like, how ironic would it be that a guy that does a voice of an angry character in a cartoon ends up getting a, a statue, uh, you know, before Catherine Rohn's dad does, you know, the, one of the chief database experts in the, in the world. But, hey, I'll take it, I guess. We'll see if that actually comes to comes to pass. Right. You bumped the Neil Armstrong statue just so they can put... Exactly. You know. Oops, knocked it over. <laughs> oh, man. No, but that's the fun part about it. And since you've been to Japan, I, I'm not sure if you've been to the conventions over there in comparison to the United States, but I've seen fan reactions here in the U.S. to anime voice actors specifically. How is it over there when they find out that you're the American voice of XYZ characters? It's a, it's, it's a cool thing because, uh, as we were discussing earlier in that film about being George Clooney, um, they, they hold voice actors on a, on a large pedestal there. Um, and so when they find out that you're a voice actor, they think that you are the most famous person in the universe. Uh, so if you, you know, you mention I'm a Seiyu to anyone in Japan or anyone tells someone you're a Seiyu, they're like, they're like so impressed by you and they want to like they they want to bow to you and it's the coolest thing ever um and i kind of want to go like oh well i mean it's just it's just anime dub acting and don't don't get too like you'll need to buy me dinner for that but i guess i'll take it uh yeah turn around and look at you and go that's great dad can you make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich (laughs) precisely But it's kind of easier to be famous for your voice than for your face because you can still have a sense of anonymity and still go to the park and play with your kids without paparazzi taking pictures everywhere you go. That's the truth. The only place I can't go with my kids is GameStop. Um, that's because that's where every single person for some reason knows my face. I don't know how. Um, I don't know how or why. But GameStops and grocery stores are, are dangerous places because I think there are a lot of people who watch anime at work at those two places. <laughs> the thing with all of this, and especially the, this gorgeous film, uh, Zhang Xia's, is that you get to play pretend. And one, one thing I want to mention, I'm sorry, before I go into that, and this, and forgive the name drops, please. But I had spoken with Phil Lamar and I had spoken with uh, John DiMaggio about these things. Amazing. Actors, both of them. Oh, phenomenal. And I remember someone was asking Phil to repeat some line from, from, I think it was Samurai Jack. And Phil had said, you have to remind me because I think people forget that we only record the show once while you watch it multiple times. 
And then with John DiMaggio, he didn't realize that the bender line of Bite My Shiny Metal Ass was now the new hit line of Futurama because he started having people shout that at him and he didn't realize that he had said it in like one episode in season one, then now you know, the thing going on. No, I'm with you. Like, I understand that. Like, it, it, there's a, there was a meme that was associated with me and Dragon Ball. It's called, it was an over 9,000 meme. And there's another one called, you know, the balls are inert. And the people just start yelling these things at you and you have no idea what they mean because they become more popular in the, in the culture before you even realize it. I, um, uh, that, that, the truth is, man, it, that he hit it right on the head. I'll, I'll record this, and it might be, you know, a four-hour session ten years ago. And people are like, so what was it like to record on? I'm like, I didn't know it was going to be that popular when I recorded on. Like, even if I did, I, it's it's such a short period of time, and I keep myself so busy that so many things have happened since then. Yeah. And, and then another <clears throat> factor, I'm not going to name drop him because I've already name dropped enough. But I told him, I said, oh, one of my friends told me you freaked out when they found out I was interviewing you today because you voiced X character and it had such an emotional you know, influence on their life. And he paused and he was like, I was in that? And I was like, apparently. So yeah. like, well, tell him thank you. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a sad thing. There's a show in called Fruits Basket that everybody loves. And I... Barely, like I remember some experiences from it, but people want to know what was it like to record in the booth, and I just I can barely remember that time. Can barely remember it at all. Uh, we're gonna go back real quick in time since you've been with Funimation since the late nineties. Uh-huh. Uh huh. There was a comedy duo known as the Jerky Boys for younger audience that don't know who recorded prank calls and sold cassette tapes and CDs of these prank calls. As a voice actor, did you hone your skills on making prank calls to either friends or families or delivery services before caller ID and then have caller ID ruin that for you? Dude, are you kidding me? That that is that was my entire childhood. Like it, we we were so lucky. Uh, I was so lucky not to ever have to no, like deal with color ID until much later, but at the point where I, it didn't matter anymore. But I spent my entire childhood prank calling people. I, I, that was literally my my hobby. Is I would open up the phone book and randomly call people. I mean, and at the time, it were bad jokes like, "Oh, excuse me, ma'am, is, is your refrigerator running?" And they go, uh, "Yes." I go, "Then you better go catch it." <laughs> And of course, I had a voice about this deep in junior high school, so I could do, um, I could do all sorts of fun phone pranks. Uh, and my favorite, actually, is I went to a buddy's house, and he, his dad, had a home office where he had not one but two phone lines. And so, what I would do is call one person, and then I would call a person that that person either hated or loved, or a combination of the two, and I would just let one ring quickly call the other one and then connect the two calls together and just listen to chaos. Like, hey, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Well, why'd you call me? You called me. Uh, that was uh, a huge pastime of mine. <laughs> and it's funny you mentioned Jerky Boys because uh, I I wore those tapes out when I was younger. I used to love the, all of the prank call stuff. Um, and now, Color ID has ruined it for everyone. However, there is hope for us out there. 
there is a uh, there is an application that I've used called the Spoof Call app, mm-hmm. and uh, it allows you to call somebody and choose what the caller ID is going to be. So I've actually called people from someone else's caller ID, and you can add sound effects and music or something to your call even, and record the whole thing, and it's brilliant. I remember one time calling Travis Willingham from his girlfriend, uh, Laura Bailey's phone, and uh, he's like, what is going on? And I'm like, you must return the crystal to the Oracle immediately. He's like, what is happening? He's like, who is this? He's like, I am the god of the internet. He's like, I cannot figure out what is happening here. Like, maybe this person will be able to explain it better. And I call from, like, Yuri Lowenthal's phone number. He's like, I don't understand what's happening in this world. Um, So anyone who is interested in prank calling, that would be my um, solution to that problem. And parents, please send your hate mail to Christopher Sabat at... (laughs) (laughs) Christopher Sabat at uh, IHateVoiceActors.net. So... (laughs) I could see that happening with Travis. I asked Travis this question, so I'm going to have to ask you this question as well. When your children were small, or if you had pets, because he had dogs at the time and I, uh, his wife wasn't uh, wasn't yet pregnant, do you practice your voices on the pets or your children to see what their reaction will be, and and if that would be a good character voice? <laughs> yes, all all voices are tested on my kids, but I'll tell you what, they're not the best litmus test. Because they don't all, well, either they think the dumbest things are funny, or they don't think that's funny at all. They're like, ah, that's really stupid. Like, okay, cool, cool. It's like someone else will like, someone more mature will like this. You're just a child, you will, you don't understand my humor. <laughs> um, so that's, yeah, that's how it goes, typically for me. And that's how well, you I live your wife over with your <laughs> voices. Exactly. Well, I, I mean, I hate to do this to you, but I, in this world of calling people and working from home, I actually have a session that starts in three minutes and I've got to kind of get my system set up for it. Well, I'd love to, I'd love to talk more, but I'm unfortunately kind of stuck right now. Well, Chris, unfortunately we, you know, for us, we've run out of time because we could do this for another three hours. But since, uh, Zhang Ziai is available and we talked a little bit about it enough, at least to, to wet people's appetites. Why should they purchase the uh, the Blu-ray copy or the digital copy to watch it this weekend? Uh, because it will blow your friggin' minds. Sorry about my language. Right. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, it's it's such. It is a type of feature that you don't get to see very often. The the people producing it. It's kind of like the a digital version of a. Miyazaki quality film. It's beautiful on a level that you don't normally see films attain, especially digital films. It's something you just wouldn't expect. It's um, of the level of the finest films, uh, animated films in America, um, with the themes that you don't get to see very often and characters that are unexpected. So, and plus, you can watch it and then hit me up at just Chris Sabat on Twitter and tell me how you liked it this weekend, and then I'll know whether we did a good job on the dub or not. Perfect. See, you beat me to it trying to figure out where you are on social media. Chris Sabat, Zhang Zia is available on the VOD and DVD, Blu-ray, everywhere else. You can uh, find this stuff. Enjoy the film. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Chris. Good luck with your session. 
Uh, break a leg, I think that's the appropriate term that we need to use. And we will definitely be talking soon, uh, probably after the weekend. Talk to you soon, my friend. Likewise. And take care, man. Thanks for calling. Yeah, you got it. All right. Have a good one.